hello everyone. I wish you all a happy Easter, and I hope that uh, this weekend you're going to have some wonderful time, uh, not only to celebrate the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also hopefully some great time with friends and family, a time that's very, very meaningful. I'm reminded today of that old story about the guy who took a shortcut home and he walked right across a cemetery. What he didn't realize is that a fresh grave was dug right in his path and he fell in it. The hole was deep and dark. It was very wet. And although he tried to get out, he couldn't climb out of that thing. He clawed and clawed and tried to jump, but finally just fell back exhausted, thinking, I'm never going to get out of here. And he sat in the corner pondering what he might do next. Well, about that moment, a late night jogger came through and fell in the same hole. He thought he was in there all alone. He didn't see the other guy crouched over in the darkness. And the jogger also tried to get out. He jumped and clawed, but finally fell back exhausted. Then a hand came out of the darkness, touched him on the shoulder, and a voice said, Son, you can't get out of here. But he did. (laughs) Now we begin a brand new five-part series today called Facing Your Giants. And we all have them, okay? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how we can grapple with some of these big issues that are stymieing us and stalling our progress in life and keeping us from being what God designed us to be. Just next weekend, we're going to look at the giant of fear. Many of you need to hear that message because fear is holding you back. Then the giant of lust, we have these desires that often drive us and lead us to some very poor decisions. And then we're going to talk about the giant of pride, which is kind of the basis of it all. And finally, we'll wrap it up by looking at the giant of guilt. And oh, how many of us need that? Because we go through life with this massive load of guilt weighing us down. God never intended that. And so we're going to learn how by God's power. You see, you may think you can't get out of that hole. But you can, by God's power. And that's what we're going to look at for these next few weeks together. And at the end of today's message, I'm going to invite you to pray a very special prayer with me because I want you to be open for what God would want to do in your life this very day. Well, we kick this series off today by talking about the giant of death. And I would suggest to you that death is the most powerful weapon in Satan's arsenal of evil. Uh, the Bible calls death the last enemy. And if you've ever lost someone you love or care about, you've probably wondered, wow, what's going to happen to me When I breathe my last breath. And many people go through life fearing death. It's a paralyzing enemy. When surveys are done of the American people consistently, fear of death comes in as number two. You know what number one is? Fear of public speaking. Jerry Seinfeld said, 
That means that at a funeral, the person giving the eulogy is more scared than the guy in the casket was, all right? But this Easter, I've got good news for you. You do not have to fear death. Because Easter means that God has conquered this giant. And when we're in Christ, we don't have to fear this giant of death. Because Jesus was raised, we can be raised too to a glorious future. Now, I want us to look right off the bat here at a passage of Scripture where Paul kind of describes this for us and this resurrected Christ and what Easter is all about. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here's what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, this isn't trivia we're talking about today. This is the big stuff. This is the stuff of primary, central importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That means they've passed away, they've died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul writes, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. That means I wasn't in on all that early stuff. I didn't get to see Christ in the flesh, but I was called to be an apostle sometime later. The way I came into this was a bit abnormal, he's saying. And Paul's point in this whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is that because Jesus was raised, we can be raised too. So this resurrection weekend, I want to share with you briefly two central truths from the Bible that are crystal clear in Scripture. And when we really understand these and the implication of them, they make all the difference in the world. Truth number one, death is inevitable. In other words, we're all going to die. I think about that movie, What About Bob? You know, that classic from years ago. Bill Murray plays a guy named Bob Wiley who has all kinds of issues. And in that movie, Dr. Leo Marvin's son, little Sigmund, is in a reflective mood. And you may remember the scene where little Sigmund says to Bob, I'm going to die. You're going to die. And there's nothing we can do about it. And little Sigmund is absolutely right. Death is inevitable. I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're saying, wow, thanks, Pastor Rex. I am so glad I got all dressed up and came to church today to hear that. And I know what you mean. It's not a pleasant thought, is it? In fact, most of us want to avoid the subject at all costs. We, we don't even use the word. We say things like, he passed, she expired, they departed, and we get more creative with it. We say, uh, she's pushing up daisies, 
He bought the farm. You know? He kicked the bucket. We, we, we come up with all these euphemisms for death. But, but here's the point. Knowing that death is inevitable, shouldn't that affect the way we live? I mean, let me, give, let me get personal with you for just a moment, if I can. Knowing that one day you're going to stand before the God of this universe, the God that not only created you in his own image, but the God who loves you with an everlasting love, that you're going to stand before God, shouldn't that affect the way we live now? Shouldn't that impact us? Shouldn't that make us want some kind of exit strategy when the time does come for us to die? We may be able to to delay our death through good exercise and nutrition and some good choices, but make no mistake, we cannot bypass it. The Bible says it's appointed for people once to die. And after that comes the judgment. And by the way, That's why at the end of this message today, and I want you to be ready for that moment, I'm going to invite you to do something that some of you have never done, to open your heart to God in a brand new way. I'm going to lead you in a prayer because we all need to be ready for our own death. Now, if you're a baseball fan, you know the name of Ted Williams, one of the greatest hitters of all time. He spends his time in a one-story warehouse near the Scottsdale, Arizona airport, literally. He's been there since the day after his death back in 2002. Rick Riley writes a provoking article about it. He said his curators don't like the word death. The Alcor Life Extension Program prefers to say Ted ended his first life cycle. When Ted Williams died, excuse me, ended his first life cycle, at the age of 83, he was packed in a crate of ice, flown to Arizona, injected with a form of human antifreeze, and placed in a stainless steel bay where he and 58 other residents await their mulligan at minus 190 degrees Celsius, counting on future advancements in technology that will unfreeze them into life. Riley writes, they're banking their bodies on the hope of reanimation. That someone someday will poke a needle or push a button and trigger life cycle number two. William's family paid $136,000 for that process, for that hope. But you know what I pray for you? I pray that your hope in a future life, in life cycle number two, is based on something a lot more solid than that. Death is inevitable. But here's the second and final glorious truth I want to declare. While death is inevitable, resurrection to a glorious future is possible. Aren't you glad this one's a little happier than the first one, right? That's the good news of Easter. There's a way of turning death into a comma rather than a depressing period. That's what Easter is all about. Because Jesus rose from the dead, death can be a comma rather than a period. That's what it's all about. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the basis for our hope. Now, in this passage that we read earlier here on the screen, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lists all these people that Christ appeared to. And I like the part where he gets, he says, and he appeared to me also. In other words, this isn't just hearsay for me. The risen Christ appeared to me. But here's my favorite appearance of all those that Paul listed in the passage. It's in verse 6. Where he said, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living. In other words, if you want to go ask them, go ask them. Some of them live up the street, over in that town, over there, out in the country. You can go talk to them. Get their own testimony. Individuals may have hallucinations, but not over 500 people at once seeing the same thing that changed their lives. Max Lucado writes, don't believe in Jesus' resurrection? Let's line up the witnesses. Call them out. One by one, let each person who saw the resurrected Christ take the stand and speak. Better pack a lunch and clear your calendar for over 500 witnesses have something to say. Doesn't the sheer size of this crowd carry clout? If one prospector boasts of discovered gold, (coughs) we listen. If 50 diggers find nuggets, we grab shovels. When 500 find a mother load of treasure, we start staking claims. Increase testimonies, dispel doubt. And that, in case you've ever wondered, is why Christians make such a big deal of Easter. We know that Christianity stands or falls on whether that tomb was empty. Death is an awesome enemy. And if that tomb is not empty, you ought to fear death, quite frankly. But if Jesus rose from that grave by the Father's power, and he did, you don't need to fear death anymore when you're in Christ. The same power that raised him from the dead will one day raise you to a glorious new future when Christ returns. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, listen, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable, he's talking about these perishable bodies, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. In other words, Jesus' resurrection is, is a foretaste of yours. His was factual. Yours will be factual. He died. You will die. He was raised. You will be raised. You say, Pastor, does the Bible really teach that we're going to be raised one day? Jesus himself taught that. Listen to this passage. John chapter 5. Jesus himself said, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. A popular Christian author writes, the one who called Jesus from his grave will summon all human bodies from theirs and they will come. I love this. 
from sunken ships and forgotten cemeteries, they will come. From royal tombs and grassy battlefields, they will come. From Abel, the first to die, to the person being buried at the moment the trumpet sounds, everybody will be raised. And that's why Paul makes that incredible statement in the same passage, death has been swallowed up in victory. And that's why Christians get so pumped at Easter time. We celebrate because Jesus swallowed up death in one gulp. Where, O oh death, is your sting, Paul writes, Where is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we get so pumped up. But some of you may be thinking right now, look, if all this is true, if this stuff you guys call the good news is, is true, then, then how, do, how do people get in on that? How can I get in on that? Well, well, there's where the greatest irony of all comes. Here's what I've noticed, just to be honest with you, as I've talked to so many people through the years. Here's what I noticed. 98% of the people I talk to don't have a huge problem accepting the fact that Jesus was raised. In fact, I'm amazed at how many people believe that. But here's what they think. They think if I can just be good enough, I can go to heaven too. If I can just be good enough, I can be with him. I can be with the Lord forever. But I've got to really toe the line and be good enough. That's what most people think. But the good news of the gospel on Easter is actually quite different from that. The Bible says that we get in on this when we acknowledge, listen, I'm not good enough. In fact, I never will be on my own. I can never make it. I don't deserve it. I never will. But I put my trust in the one who was perfect. And I trust in what Jesus did for me at the cross when he paid the penalty that my sins deserved and demanded. And that's what gets me entrance into heaven. I'm placing my trust and my faith in Christ alone. If you haven't done that, I say it respectfully, but you ought to be concerned about death. And that's why at the end of this message, in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to pray a very special prayer. Whoever you are, young or old, whatever your background, whether you've been in church all your life, or maybe you've never ever attended a church. I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer and open your life to Christ. The Bible puts it like this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Notice that part. Because belief in the resurrection is an important piece of our coming to God. That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Frank Clements had always dreamed of flying since he was a little boy. And so during World War II, he joined the U.S. Air Force, and soon he was flying dangerous missions over the English Channel into Germany and France. Everyone in his hometown of Big Spring, Texas, was proud of him. 
everyone in the 4th Street Baptist Church that Frank's family had been a part of for many, many years. They prayed for him often. In fact, Elmer Dunham, the pastor of this little church, was always asking for information that he wanted to share with the congregation. And they all prayed for Frank Clements, although they had very little uh, information coming to them. One day, the tragic message came to Big Spring that Frank Clements was missing in action. When Mr. Clements got the news in his little repair shop out by the garage, he immediately uh, dropped everything. He and his wife went down to the pastor's office and they wept and prayed together. And sometime later, the tragic news came in a telegram. Greetings. We regret to inform you that Frank Clements was killed in action over the English Channel. We extend our deepest sympathy. Naturally, the Clements family was devastated. And because that little town was so close, virtually everyone came out to the memorial service that was held. They put a single rose on the empty casket and they all mourned Frank's death. But the problem was, Lieutenant Frank Clements of Big Spring, Texas, was not dead. Another guy with exactly the same name, Frank Clements, had been shot down and killed. But Frank from Big Spring, Texas, was shot down, but he survived the crash, and he was rescued a few days later by the Allies and taken back across the channel in a boat. He knew nothing about the other Frank Clements. He knew nothing about the wrong information that his family had received. And so the military, because of the ordeal he'd been through, allowed him to go back home for a short visit. Well, Frank was a young man. He wasn't even 20 years old yet at this time. He decided that it'd be cool just to surprise his family. So he didn't call ahead. True story. That's pretty typical. Again, he knew nothing about the information they had received that was wrong. He knew nothing about them having a memorial service and mourning his passing. He just chose to surprise them. And so Frank took a passenger ship across the Atlantic Ocean, took over a week. And then from the East Coast, he took a train to Dallas And then from Dallas, he took a Greyhound bus to his hometown of Big Spring, Texas. Well, he'd been sitting for so long, he was in a walking mood. He took his big duffel bag and began to walk up the road toward his house. He didn't see anybody along the way that he knew. He arrived. He heard some activity over in the repair shop next to the garage, went to the door, stood there a moment in the doorway. His dad's back was to him. He watched his dad for a few seconds working there on the bench. And finally he said, Dad, his father froze. A few moments later he said, Dad, Mr. Clements looked up. He ran to him. He couldn't believe his eyes. He hugged his son and held on to him. Now, Frank was confused. They'd always had a kind of formal relationship where they just shook hands And now his dad was holding on and wouldn't let go as he continued to weep. Finally, his dad let go and stepped back, took one other look, ran in the house, told his wife, and then ran down Main Street of Big Spring, yelling at the top of his lungs, he's alive, 
He's alive. He's alive. And next day, the front page of the local paper in bold print said, Lieutenant Frank Clements comes home alive. You know what? Somebody said perhaps the best word to describe Easter is surprise. Surprise, Satan. Surprise, Caiaphas. Surprise, Pilate. Surprise, unbelievers. Surprise, death. Jesus is alive. Death is defeated. Hope is real. The giant of death has been conquered. And if you've surrendered to Jesus, he's promised that you will live eternally with him. That's the promise of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And friend, if you trust that promise of God, then you can face even the most difficult situation, even death itself, with confidence. It's been over a year now since we mourned the death of of Dave Kniff. Dave was a beloved guy. He played in our worship band for many years. Just a, a young husband and and father, husband to Amy, father to Caleb and Zachary, their two young boys. Dave Kniff was killed in December of 2013. He was a state trooper, and he was struck as he was making just a routine stop along the throughway. Thousands came out at his service. Just this past Wednesday, Amy made this post on Facebook. And she gave me permission to share this with all of you. Amy wrote, The boys and I are with Nana waiting in traffic to see our church's Passion Road Easter drama. We've been waiting in line for over an hour and talking about Jesus dying for us and why he did that. Little Zach, and by the way, Zach is six years old. Little Zach was asking lots of questions and asked, How do we get Jesus in our hearts? And I continued to drive while leading him in a simple prayer, asking Jesus to forgive his sins and come live in his heart. And he repeated it after me. I told him then that the angels and daddy are celebrating in heaven right now because he has Jesus in his heart. And then Amy writes, all this before we even get to the start of Passion Road. God is good. And indeed, he is good. Amen. God is good. But that prayer that Zachary prayed is just like a prayer I prayed when I was 13 years old. And I yielded and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. It, it's just like the prayer that literally we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people pray here at Grace through the years now. 
It's just a prayer of acknowledging I can never be good enough to earn heaven or God's favor. Heaven's a perfect place for perfect people. Man, I blew that long ago. I can never be good enough. But I trust in what Jesus did, the perfect one. What he did when he died on the cross and rose again to pay the penalty that my sins demanded. And like I've been telling you, I'm going to invite you right now to pray that same kind of prayer. I'm literally going to lead you in it. Just like Amy led little Zach in the prayer, I'm going to lead you. Now, there's nothing magic about these words, but if the words that I say represent the desire of your heart, God's going to meet you right where you are. So let's bow our heads right now. And I'm going to invite you silently, right where you are, just make a little altar there before God and silently pray this prayer to God, phrase by phrase, after me. Oh, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that your death paid the penalty that my sins deserve. Thank you for rising again. I turn from trusting in myself and I begin to trust in you. From this day on, I'm going to look to you as my Savior and my Lord. I'm going to trust in you for eternal life. Thank you for forgiving me for adopting me into your family. And Father, I pray for all those who've prayed that prayer right now and the new life that you've brought. Father, I ask that you would seal them, save them, secure them in you, and help them, Lord, to begin to grow in a marvelous, marvelous way as they begin their brand new relationship with you. Thank you that death has been conquered in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.